This is Wicket's World with Mike Wicket on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. Well, hello and happy Friday. I took last week off part of my wonderful staycation. Glad to be back sitting in studio with you. Kira is here as well. Kira, are you fired up? Because I know what a big hockey fan you are. Oh, I mean, yeah. are we? Will we have the Hockey Minute today reviewing the hockey draft? <laughs> I know what a big Blues <laughs> fan you are. Did they draft anybody? Did your Blues they did. draft? Who'd they take? Anybody big? Anybody important? Uh, they drafted a guy named Snugger Rudd. Snuggy? Snuggy. All right. He's Snugs. Number <laughs> number 22. All right. I think he's a right wing. I read that today. Uh, no, it'll be great. I can't wait to hear what the other guys are going to call him on the ice. Because oh, it'll yeah. either be Rudd. Yo, Rudd. He, he, Rudd. Snugs will get every nickname in the book coming oh, yeah. his way. Uh, but we are happy to be here with you. Thank you so much for checking us out here on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines, streaming live on the ESPN Des Moines Facebook page, my page, all over the pages. Uh, coming up, man, I it's there are certain topics that I can talk about for hours. And one of those popped up last week when I took the week off. And that is college football realignment. And I will get to the craziness of college football and its realignment coming up in a bit. But first, our long national nightmare is over. We have been talking about the trade of a backup quarterback for six months, seemingly. Everybody's been wondering, what's going to happen with Baker Mayfield? Baker Mayfield. Well, he gets dealt this week, and there's so many people. I don't know if there's ever been a quarterback who there's a good shot he doesn't start. I don't think we've ever talked about the trade for a backup quarterback more in football, in NFL circles, on, on sports radio, like on this radio station or anywhere. Like, we are talking about a guy who there's – unless – I mean, Sam Darnold has the upper hand. He's been in Matt Rule's offense, hasn't played great, hasn't been healthy, hasn't had a great offensive line. But we're talking about the expectation of whether or not Baker Mayfield, who got traded this week from Cleveland to the Carolina Panthers for a conditional fifth-round pick, could become a fourth-round pick if Baker plays 70% of the snap. So basically, a day day three pick. They traded the former number one overall pick in the draft for a day three pick, all right? And that's fine. You know, I, I sometimes we overvalue guys and undervalue players. You ever hear that Tom Brady went 199th? But Baker Mayfield was number one in 2018. Sam Darnold, the guy he's competing with for the job, went number three in 2018. And it's ironic they're now both on the same roster competing for the starting job for a decent roster. I don't think Carolina is a great team on paper. Um, we all know about Christian McCaffrey's struggles, his inability to stay healthy. They've got DJ Moore, who may be the most underrated, underused wide receiver in the National Football League over there. Robbie Anderson, tremendous. I mean, that's a good pair of wide receivers. They just have to find somebody who can throw the football to them consistently. Now, again, they've had a terrible offensive line last year. And while Chuba Hubbard was a good rookie, there was never really, there's no McCaffrey threat once he got injured for the second straight year. So I, I have to think that right now the leader in the clubhouse to start week one is Sam Darnold, which sucks if you're a Panthers fan because Sam Darnold kind of sucks. But then there's the, I mean, then, then what? What's the other option? Baker Mayfield? I got a whole bunch of people who have jumped in on this trade that I want you to hear from all different kinds of opinions, like this one from ESPN's. Dan Orlovsky on what Baker Mayfield's got to do to be successful in Carolina. Baker's success is a little bit attached to, does that offensive line take the steps necessary to go from bottom four to top 16 in the league? Does Christian stay healthy enough for the majority of the season? And I honestly believe that if those two things happen, Baker's going to play good football. And then if he gets the solidification of his name and he plays good football again, the league is going to go, wait, in two of the last three seasons, this player's been healthy, and he's played really good football when he's been healthy. 
Baker Mayfield is a top 12 starting quarterback, and that's what's going to happen huh? if he plays that way. Baker Mayfield is a top 12 starting quarterback. Those are the words of Dan Orlovsky. Let me just run through my, my list here. All right. Rodgers, Mahomes, Allen, uh, Russell Wilson, Herbert. There's five. I'd take Dak easily over. Um, yeah, Dak over Baker Mayfield. I'd take Kirk Cousins over Baker Mayfield. Deshaun Watson, the guy who's replacing Baker Mayfield. I would easily take him. What's that got me up at eight? You're telling me like I'd take Lamar over Baker Mayfield. That's a no-brainer. Joe Burrow, that's a no-brainer over Baker Mayfield. I'm sure I'm just glazing. I I had that strikes me as an absurd, absurd way to absurd classification of Joe Burrow. I'm sorry, of Baker Mayfield. Baker Mayfield's a top twelve quarterback in the NFL. No, I think Baker Mayfield's a Somewhere like 18 to 22, and I hate all the rankings, but when you say something like Baker Mayfield is a top 12 guy, uh, Carr in, in Vegas, the whole AFC West has quarterbacks better than than Baker Mayfield. So it's at 5, 10, 11. I got 11 off the top of my head. I'm not even looking at any sort of, uh, any, any sort of list right now. I'd take Carson Wentz over Baker Mayfield. That seems to be a pretty easy one. I that there's twelve right there. Five, yeah, there's twelve right there. And I'm sure I can come up with a couple of more if I sat down and thought about it. So I'm going to disagree with Orlovsky there on that. But I will say, Dan's right though. You know, if McCaffrey's healthy and the offensive line doesn't suck, then Mayfield or Darnold, whoever it is, can have success. I mean, Aaron Rodgers is you know the two-time MVP. But Aaron Rodgers has also had the best offensive line in football. <laughs> okay? His offensive line has been great the last two years. Lo and behold, you partner that with his incredible talent, and that's one of the reasons, one of the major reasons why Aaron Rodgers is a two-time MVP. That's why I don't think Rodgers will take a huge, or the offense will take a huge dip without Devontae Adams. So I will agree with Orlovsky on half of what he had to say. Uh, ESPN Cleveland's Emmett Golden he was on ESPN Radio earlier this week on his show, and he said basically, look, dude, the Browns needed a break. The Browns just needed to get this done. There was no way they wanted to start training camp with Baker on the roster and just, you know, things would be uncomfortable because I'm pretty sure he would have showed up, um, and that would have been a very awkward quarterback room and an awkward practice. So they needed to get it done, and they got it done. you imagine week one or even in training camp they didn't get, let's say they don't get this thing done. Let's say the Browns don't get this thing done. Baker shows up, and I don't I don't know if Baker would have shown up because we know how upset he was with the organization. He went on the podcast, talked about feeling disrespected, then brought in Deshaun Watson. They gave Deshaun Watson $230 million guaranteed dollars, despite the fact that he might get suspended for half or all of this year for sexual misconduct involving 22, 24, 26, now down to four, whatever. You know Deshaun Watson's discrepancies, what he's been wrong, or what he's been doing wrong. I don't know if Baker shows up. I'm not 100% sure. But Cleveland needed to get this done so that distraction is not there by the time they get to training camp in a couple of weeks. I kind of agree with ESPN's Keyshawn Johnson. And he made the claim that they just basically brought in another Sam Darnold in Carolina. Baker Mayfield and Sam Darnold are about the same right now in their careers. The one thing that Baker had was Kevin Stefanski that one year in 2020 where Sam Darnold hasn't had really any competent stability. head coach stability right. except for the first half, the first handful of games last year where we saw Sam show flashes of why he was selected so high by the Jets. And I think if they both were in the same situation with good head coaching, they both could thrive, period. I I think they're the same quarterback. I didn't know if I thought Darnold would be better because he wasn't playing for Adam Gase, the head coach of the Jets. Now Gase is gone. Robert Saleh is there. But I figure anybody who can get away from from Adam Gase gets better addition by subtraction. 
Now, he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He hasn't been great. Sam Darnold is starting to, the word bust is coming into Sam Darnold's world. Baker Mayfield, if he doesn't start performing at a very high level, Baker Mayfield is a bust of a quarterback. As the number one pick in the NFL, I think these two guys have had several years. They are who they are at this point, I think. I mean, not everybody takes the league by storm in year one or year two, like Mahomes or Burrow. Most guys take a few years to develop. And now we're entering year four, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22. We're entering year five. Is that right now for these guys? If they haven't, if they don't, if one of them doesn't emerge, grab the starting job and play I don't, as a top 12 quarterback, like Dan Orlovsky's claiming that Baker is, but as a top 15 QB, as a guy who can get you wins, a guy who can, you know, play well when you need him to play, Bust is going to be associated with Baker Mayfield's name and with Sam Darnold's name. So what was Carolina thinking when they when they did, went ahead and made this move? They just must not be sold on Sam Darnold whatsoever. Now, they don't have to pay a ton for him. The $18 million salary gets cut up. Carolina's only paying four of it, 4.8 or something. You got the uh, the Browns are paying 10, and the remainder is prorated. It's, you know, they're going to push some down, kick the can down the road. That's, that's what Baker agreed to do. So it begs the question, is this better now for Baker Mayfield? That's what Harry Douglas wondered. The Carolina Panthers were second in total defense last year. Mm-hmm. Cleveland Browns were fi- fifth. They were, they were fifth. Offensively, the Cleveland Browns were way better than the, the Carolina pa- Panthers in my eyes. You look at the running game that they had. They had three solid tight ends. You had receivers that could get it done. But then when he moves over to the Carolina Panthers, you look at a guy like Christian McCaffrey, who in the last two years – hasn't played a lot of football. So you can't just hang your hat on and say, you know what, we're going to lean on Christian McCaffrey to do this. Chuba Hubbard, he can run the football, but he's just going into a year two. But then you look at the tight end position for the Carolina Panthers, and they have Tommy Tribble, who's a guy who can really block at the line of scrimmage and is getting better in the pass game, and he's a dog. And then they sign back in Thomas. But when you look at the totality of the two teams, the Cleveland Browns had a better roster. There are not a lot of better there're not a lot of better rosters in the National Football League than the Browns when Baker was there. The offensive line may have been the best in the AFC, easily a top 5 offensive line. When Chubb and Kareem Hunt are healthy, that's the best backfield in the National Football League because you have two ones, you have two alphas right there. Two guys who complement each other so very well. They had a great defense with one of the best pass rushers in the NFL, one of the best secondaries in the NFL. Baker will never play on a roster better than he did last year when he was playing for Cleveland. And people are going to talk about, well, Wicked, he didn't have a great year, but he was hurt. Yeah, his non-throwing shoulder was hurt. And I'm not going to claim to know what that's like. Lord knows I don't have any idea what it's like to separate my shoulder nor play quarterback in the National Football League with a separated shoulder. But it wasn't his throwing shoulder. Guys play with banged-up shoulders all the time. Brady, Rodgers, Favre, all the greats play well with banged-up shoulders. Baker Mayfield's a 500 quarterback. Baker Mayfield, I don't think, ever made a Pro Bowl. Maybe he has. I, I, he doesn't stick out. But that roster he had is far better than the roster he's going to down in Carolina. We're going to get the other side of this coming up next including the fan reaction in Carolina to acquiring Baker Mayfield. ESPN Charlotte's Molly Cotton will give that answer to us coming up next. Like ESPN Des Moines on Facebook and watch Wicket's World live in real time. This is 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. One zero two one FM and thirteen fifty ESPN Des Moines. This is Wicket's World. My name is Mike Wicket. Thanks so much for letting me be a part of your Friday afternoon. Cubs and Dodgers later tonight. Chicago is out in LA playing at Chavez Ravine. Eight thirty for the pregame. You, I, Kira, I actually for the first time in a year didn't have to ask you. Yeah, aren't you proud? I'm so. Proud. I know that vacation really did you good. <laughs> One week off. And I figured it out. Uh, I'm going to get to the college football madness coming up in a bit. Um, 
and some strange comments, I believe, from from Reese Davis of ESPN. But talking about the Baker Mayfield trade, it is the big story dominating the headlines in the NFL. By the way, the other story dominating headlines in the NFL this week, Aaron Rodgers tattoo. I could I could not care less. I could not, people are analyzing it and there's what is it of? Google it. Okay. I can't I can't even there's, right. there's two heads, there's a third eye, uh there's some astrological signs, some constellations. Oh. I, I don't know. It, I have no idea. I don't care. Awesome. Can you can you throw the football into the end zone and win a Super Bowl? Uh, where's where's the tattoo? Uh, on his arm, I think. Tattoo your whole body. I don't care. Just win a damn Super Bowl so the haters will shut up. All right. Baker Mayfield gets dealt for a conditional fifth. Could be a fourth round pick from the Browns to the Carolina Panthers. Speaking of the Panthers, according to ESPN Charlotte's Molly Cotton fans are excited. The initial reaction from the fan base and a lot of people around Carolina is we love it. But you know why I think they love it? Because Baker Mayfield is not named Sam Darnold. So this fan base was going to love anybody not named Sam Darnold as the Panthers quarterback. So it's gotten a lot of good hype at this point. I will admit I was wrong on Darnold. And I'm I'm not totally done being right. He's got a year to. I mean, he's got to have the heads up, or he's got to have a hand up, I should say, in the race for the starting quarterback job, right? I mean, Matt Rule's been the head coach down there for a couple of seasons. Sam Darnold's been there. You know, he had the year last year. You would think that he has a hand up, but I have no idea. I mean, there's got to be a reason why Carolina who didn't give up all that much to go get Baker Mayfield, but invited the chaos into their locker room. You bring in Baker Mayfield after this offseason, yeah, you're getting a guy who has potential, has shown at times he can play in this league, but you're bringing drama, you're bringing controversy, you're bringing more questions being asked to the quarterback that you traded a lot for in Sam Darnold. I mean, they traded a bunch for Darnold. And it didn't turn into anything in year one. He got banged up through nine touchdowns, 13 interceptions. The team went south. A lot of that's on Christian McCaffrey not being healthy. But this time, according to Molly Cotton from ESPN Charlotte, the Panthers feel like they really won the trade. You just got the sense that this team, you knew they were not all in on Sam Darnold. Um, and Matt Rule pretty much said as much when he said the magic words, Sam Darnold is our quarterback for now. So you couldn't sell Sam to the fan base and you couldn't sell Sam to the locker room. So you knew that there was going to be a quarterback change and the, all signs, all roads led to Baker Mayfield because it got to the point where the Browns, they really didn't have a whole lot of leverage. So I think the Panthers have got to come away feeling like they won and they got a decent-ish quarterback, but you didn't have to give up a whole lot. Well, what she just said there was kind of interesting to me, too. You weren't selling Sam Darnold to the locker room. But do you think you're going to sell Baker Mayfield to the locker room? Everybody knows what Baker went through this offseason. Everybody knows that Baker Mayfield had beef with OBJ. Everybody knows Baker Mayfield is a very confident man. Everybody knows Baker Mayfield went on the podcast and complained about being disrespected and not getting enough respect. And not Everybody in that locker room knows because everybody exists in this world of Twitter and social media and NFL being king and NFL being mainstream and everybody talking about the NFL at all times. Everyone in that locker room knows so now you got to sell that guy to that locker room. I, I That, to me, is tough. You know, earlier this year, do you remember what Robbie Anderson had to say? Robbie Anderson, when the rumors came out, the wide receiver tweeted out, no, back in April, about Baker Mayfield going to Carolina. And he was asked about that. I'm going to play it from here. I'm just going to play it from my phone to the speaker because I never, I didn't hit save on the audio. Here's Robbie Anderson when he was asked about his tweet when he said no to Baker Mayfield coming to be his quarterback. Um, I wonder if you could explain why you reacted negatively to the prospects of these guys acquiring Baker. You know, I 
said, you know, I said what I said, you know. That was just my, that's just my thinking out loud, my thought, you know. Why did you notice that, that particular tweet? You know, just trying to be a good teammate to my quarterback, you know. That's it. Just trying to defend the guy who, who is my quarterback in a sense, you know what I'm saying? That's it. I don't believe Robbie Anderson for a second. <laughs> I think Robbie Anderson didn't want Baker Mayfield, doesn't want Baker Mayfield, still doesn't want Baker Mayfield, but he wants the ball thrown his way. And he's saying the PC thing. No disrespect to Baker Mayfield. I was defending my guy and Sam Darnold. My BS meter is going off at an all-time high right now. You just talk trash, it came back to bite you, and then you cowered under it. Because if if you would have tweeted out, Sam Darnold's my guy, then that's the end of it. But you wrote, no, objection. No, to Baker Mayfield. I don't believe any of that. I do not believe any of that. Uh, from 99.9 The Fan, Adam Gold was asked about this ceiling potentially now that Carolina has acquired Baker Mayfield. I actually think they did a great job rebuilding one of the worst offensive lines I've ever seen. I think they actually have a chance to be a maybe top half of the league offensive line. Um, I still think they leave something to be desired at receiver, not just wide receiver, but tight end. But you've got Christian McCaffrey. You've got a very good young defense. It's not as good as it was at the beginning of last year, but I still think it's very good. And it is a good defense. And they have Robbie Anderson. They got DJ Moore. They've got Christian McCaffrey. Like, they have some nice weapons. But it's not like you went from Sam Darnold to Josh Allen. You didn't go from the the outhouse to the penthouse here. You went from, like Keyshawn Johnson said earlier, I think, Sam Darnold to Sam Darnold 2. That's, that's all Baker Mayfield is to me. He's an undersized, arrogant a-hole who can't stay healthy and is a 500 quarterback with a roster much better than he's got down in Carolina. And then... The third guy in that quarterback room, they just drafted. Three months ago, they drafted Matt Corral out of Ole Miss. And I have no idea if Ole Miss's Matt Corral can make it in the National Football League. I, we, we have he's, he's been at a mini camp and a rookie camp. But they took him in, what, the third round, I believe? I think they took him in the third round. If you're Matt Corral... You're looking right now at your quarterback situation, and I don't think Corral thought as a third-round pick he was going to come in and start, regardless of the team. But if you were Corral four days ago, you were probably thinking, all I got to do is learn from this coaching staff for a year, and that Darnold dude's going to be gone, and it'll be my time to shine in year two, just like Patrick Mahomes took over in year two, or whoever, just like Jordan Love was supposed to take over in year two, but that didn't happen. That's what Corral was thinking four days ago. If you're Matt Corral now, what are you thinking? You're thinking to yourself, okay, so they had this guy who was going to be around for one more year, and then they brought in another guy who was going to be around for one more year. What does my future look like right now? Am I going to – because in, in, in when I take a step back from this, Carolina just said we're going to commit to one of these two guys. Either Sam Darnold or Baker Mayfield is going to be our guy for, let's say, three seasons – We're going to sign them to an extension. Whoever wins the job, and if they play well, we're going to give them a contract extension, and we're going to, you know, or or a new deal at this in this offseason. One of these two guys is going to be on that roster next year. One of these two guys is going to be your starting quarterback next year. They didn't bring in Sam Darnold for all the draft capital they gave the Jets. They didn't bring in Baker Mayfield. Now, granted, they didn't give up a ton, but they didn't bring in Baker Mayfield to cause all this drama. To let them both walk next year. That's not why you did it. And you took a quarterback at relatively high. It was a day two pick. Third round. Why'd you draft that guy? Because this had to still be part of the plan for the last three months. They knew what they had in Darnold. They know that they take a rookie quarterback. He's not going to supplant Darnold in, in week one. They had to know they were still going to be pursuing Baker Mayfield in April when they made this pick. It blows my mind why they would even do this. Like, if they didn't have Darnold, okay, fine. But it makes no sense to add Darnold 
and Baker Mayfield and Corral all to the same locker room. It's just something's going to explode here. So this just will not work. And if you're Corral, you got to be sitting there like, hmm. Now what? Got to play well in the preseason. Maybe I can get traded like Jimmy Garoppolo did a couple of years ago from New England to San Francisco. And you know the team that was sitting there? Oh, real quick. Here's one more great Browns note. Here's the best Browns note of them all. So the Browns are paying Baker Mayfield to not play for them this year. Carolina's paying just a little bit of that salary. The Browns are paying Baker to play for, for Carolina. He makes about $500,000 a week from the Browns. Do you know who Carolina's playing in week one? The Browns. The Browns are going to be paying Baker Mayfield money to beat them. <laughs> it's the Browns' thing ever. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> it's the Browns' thing of all time. It's great. It's just so classic Cleveland Browns. Now, the team we kept hearing all about being in this Baker Mayfield sweepstakes was the Seattle Seahawks. You know, they they make the trade uh, to bring in, uh, what's his name, Drew Locke from, uh, from, from Denver in the Russell Wilson deal. They already have Geno Smith on the roster. That might be the worst quarterback room in the National Football League. Drew Locke is a first-round bust to this point. Geno Smith is a second-round bust to this point. Neither one of them is a good quarterback in the NFL or has shown they're a quarterback that can win games in the NFL at this point. And everybody thought, well, Baker's an upgrade over both of those guys. So probably Seattle's got to be in this position, right? Wrong, says ESPN's Jeff Darlington. I didn't get the sense that they were really coming to the table on this. You know, they were always, to me, lurking in the background, no matter what anybody said, that they they would have shown some level of interest if it came down to it. But so would many other teams if, for instance, Cleveland said, we're either releasing him or we're going to pay, you know, 15 million of the 18 million. That just wasn't happening. And Carolina, as we know all along, was probably... I don't want to call them the most desperate, but pretty friggin' desperate. You know what I mean? So uh, that that is ultimately what got it done. And I didn't get the sense that Seattle was necessarily in the mix in the final days. Pretty freaking desperate. Love that. So training camp opens in a couple of weeks. My best prediction on this is going to be that I mean, they didn't make the move to have Baker back Darnold up. So I got to imagine that Baker's going to be getting – he's got more talent than Darnold. Doesn't say a lot. I got to imagine Baker Mayfield is going to get the the starting opportunity week one. What is that? Eight weeks from now, nine weeks, whatever. How many weeks we are away from the beginning of the NFL season? College football is drunk. We will talk about all this realignment. I was gone last week when the big USC-UCLA news came down, but plenty to talk about with that next. You're listening to Wicket's World on 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. My name is Mike Wicket. This is Wicket's World. Thanks for checking us out here in Des Moines. Also on the ESPN Des Moines Facebook page on Twitter at ESPN DSM. Kira is here on the other side. Coming up, if I have time... You actually can drink at the World Cup this year. I'll explain. I didn't think you could. Reuters has a new story that is out I want to get to coming up in a bit. College football is the talk of the sports world right now because there's a lot of what if, how did we get to this point? So last week I was not on. I was on vacation. And the eight days ago, so a Thursday last week, word comes down. USC and UCLA are leaving the Pac-10, Pac-12, I'm old, the Pac-12 for the Big Ten. Now, growing up, some of us, this would have been insanity (laughs) because the Big Ten champ, I grew up in the Midwest. I grew up in the Detroit area. I was raised a Michigan fan. In the Midwest, the goal was always the Rose Bowl. National championship doesn't... That day, we'll get there. If it happens, it happens. But it was always about going to the Rose Bowl for the Midwest champ to take its slow, pathetic offense to lose to USC. It was always the plan in the 80s and the 90s to go get rocked by Washington, win a Rose Bowl or two. That was it. 
But in 2022, things are very, very different. And I've, I've accepted that for a long time. Tradition doesn't matter. Regional matchups don't matter. Rivalries, they might matter to you. They might matter to me. You don't think, as a Michigan fan, that that matchup with Ohio State last year didn't, I didn't even care what happened in the college football playoff. Did not care that they were going to get trucked by Georgia. You don't think Iowa and Iowa State matters to everybody around here? Or Iowa and Nebraska matters to everybody around here? Or Iowa, Minnesota, or Wisconsin matters to everybody around here? It's part of why I love college football is the pageantry, the history, the rivalries. You know, the Auburn-Alabama game doesn't mean anything to me, but watching the Iron Bowl, you just feel the intensity coming off of that field, whether it's at Auburn or it's at Bama. Even if you have no dog in the fight, I never have any dog. I hate the SEC. Big Ten guy. Little brother complex, I guess you can call it. But in 2022, it's all about money. Rivalries be damned. Regional locations be damned. Does not matter. Now, we've been watching conference realignment for a while. I think probably the biggest shock to people is when Nebraska left the Big 12 and went to the Big 10. And Nebraska fans were very, very confident that they were going to start running the Big 10. Join the Big 10. Call it the West because the leaders and legends division was really, really stupid. They figured it out. They drew a line down the middle, West, East. Smart. Nebraska comes in and has sucked. All right? Nebraska's been a joke in the Big Ten since they, they joined. And I am, as, as a Big Ten guy who doesn't root for Nebraska, I am so glad they kept Scott Frost around. I am so excited to watch that guy fall flat on his face once again. But now, as we continue the craziness of, of, of teams moving around, the next big dominoes that fell were Texas and Oklahoma. We found that out about a month or two ago that they were going to leave the Big 12 to go to the SEC. So why did Nebraska go to the Big 10? Why did the the two biggest fish in the Big 12, why are they leaving for the SEC? Money. It's not because they want to build new rivalries with Georgia and Alabama. It's not because Nebraska wants to build new rivalries with Ohio State and Penn State. No, it's because of money. That's all, that's all that matters in college sports. That's all that matters to a lot of people in this country. But we are talking about millions and millions and millions of dollars. Big Ten schools made $70 million a year or each last year. Big Ten schools made $70 million from TV rights last year. Each. Not one pie cut 14 ways. Each. The Pac-12, each school made $19.8 million with their TV deal. $70 million? Under $20 million. Which one are you going to take? And that is why USC and UCLA are the next to make the change. Yeah, they're 2,000 miles away. 2,400 miles away. Doesn't matter. We got planes. Those kids, when I say kids, those student athletes, they fly on nicer planes than I will ever fly on the rest of my life. I've been on what? I used to uh, do some play-by-play for the Michigan women's basketball team. So I got to fly on their plane a little bit. That's kind of nice. You don't have to wait in security, get your own entrance. It was neat. Very quiet. No screaming kids. I love my children. So USC, oh, they got to travel so far. They're not going through the Allegiant Gate, <laughs> right? They have the, you know, the USC jet, the UCLA jet. So regionally, doesn't matter anymore because now it's going to be, it's, it's literally all about dollars You've, and now it is an arms race because it'll be eventually, and we'll just use these names, the SEC and the Big Ten. Everybody in the Southeastern Conference and everybody in the Midwest North plus USC and UCLA out West. My idea, Kira, you tell me if this is a good idea or not. Okay, okay, okay. Since okay. most of these teams are going to be based in the North versus the South, I think we should talk, call the uh, the two super conferences the Union and the Confederacy. What do you think? It used to kind of work. <laughs> you would save the people in the South money on flags. Oh, my God. Because they already have them, and they still fly them. You would save a lot of money for the people in the South. Some of the poorest states in this country <laughs> are in the South or in the SEC. You would save those people money. Let it marinate. You get Holy back to me, okay? Crap. Let me know. 
everybody wears blue or gray. Right. That's it. That's it. <laughs> you have the, the flags. So are we on our way to the uh, the, the super conferences? I believe so. I, I've always felt we're on our way to college football Pangea, where we're going to just have one big clump, and we draw a line. And apparently, Mike Leach feels the exact same way. I suspect we might. We might go in through the back door by process of elimination. As soon as you put university in the front of something, everybody assumes that all decisions are well thought out, carefully thought out by extremely intelligent people. But it's like most things that are decided by a committee. At some point, you know, there's a few people very motivated to be there and then several that would rather not be. And then at some point, there's a strong voice or two in the room, which the others will follow. And you hope that voice, you know, is making a wise decision. And But do not ever estimate uh, the role that, that jealousy and ambition plays in some of these decisions. There are still some big fish out there uh, that the Big Ten and the SEC are going to be probably pitching to come join their conference because, you know, that's what they want. This is eventually we're just going to have two 24 team conferences that will get split into divisions and then they'll figure all that kind of stuff out. One of those, the biggest fish in the Midwest, Notre Dame. No conference. They were in the ACC the COVID year. Uh, but Joe Theismann says that he thinks this will finally be what gets Notre Dame to join a conference. I think Notre Dame now is, you know, sort of the last school standing. When you look at UCLA and USC, what they've done, I think Notre Dame's in a position to really pick and choose where they want to go with Big Ten, SEC. Keep in mind, they played six games in the ACC, so they were sort of part of a conference over the last few years. So I think that uh, Notre Dame will probably wind up joining the conference. I don't believe they can stay independent. I think that there's going to be too many opportunities for them out there. So I think eventually they're going to wind up in a, in a conference. There's some other teams that are out there that are still worth fighting for. We'll talk about the two in the ACC whose name recognition would add clout to wherever they might wind up. But Braden Gall uh, brought up a couple of names, very interesting names. Things that are teams, I should say, schools that the Pac-12 – really would like to keep around if it's going to stay in existence. I think the alliance is a whole lot of nothing, to be honest with you. Uh, what, what matters here is, can the Pac-12, can they keep Oregon and Washington at home? And if they can keep Oregon and Washington at home and kind of circle the wagons and protect their own, maybe they're going to go with some streaming service as, as a potential partner because that's where all those companies are located. They have very international, diverse audiences, and streaming could be very successful for the Pac-12 in particular. If they can keep that 10 teams kind of locked together, then I think they've got a chance to survive. I think the Big Ten and the SEC also are looking at a streaming service of some kind. They don't think it's going to be unique only to the, the West Coast because of how techy the West Coast is. I think that's kind of a dumb thing to say. But if if they lose Oregon, Washington, fine. Washington's like, eh. You know, it, it, are the Huskies that big of a deal? Maybe. But Oregon is the big fish out West. Because of Phil Knight, because of money, Oregon is the fish. If the Big Ten can get Oregon, and there are talks that both UW and Oregon are going to be moving to the Big Ten. And again, they're in the North. See, Kira, it sticks with the North versus the South. It sticks by Union v. Confederacy idea for the two conferences to call the... See what I'm saying? Yeah, and then, you know, a hundred years later when <laughs> the all the conferences are just completely dissolved, we're going to have arguments about statues yes. of football yes. players Famous later. Oregon and... football statues. We have to bring them down. <laughs> You're right. By the way, Oregon and Oregon State do play at a game called the Civil War. That's what they call the rivalry no. game. Yes, they well, they may not now, but they always have. Oh. You know, Oregon and Oregon State play the Civil War. Um, so I, if if the Pac-12 loses Oregon and Washington, they're done. What they're going to have to wind up doing is merging with the Big 12. And I know there's this idea. He talked about an alliance between the Big 12 and the ACC. I don't see that happening. What I do see happening is the Big 12 bringing in Arizona, Arizona State, Colorado, and uh, uh, Utah, bringing them back into the fold. Then you would have your North, Midwest, Northern, and Midwest. You'd have your Southeastern and Texas. <laughs> and then you would have the Big 12, which would be like the middle of the country, and then West, except for USC, UCLA, Oregon, Washington. It, it's going to be very, very different than what we all grew up watching. I understand that, but I'm also prepared, and, and I also understand that this is sports today. If you're ever wondering, why would he do that? Or why would that team do that? Or why would the owner do that? Or why would they trade that player? Or why would a team leave a conference? It all comes back to money. That is all that matters now. 
nothing about tradition or rivalries matters because let's say Texas goes to the SEC, wins the SEC championship and wins a national title. Is anyone going to be like, well, wait a minute. They didn't play Iowa State. Texas didn't play Texas Tech. Who cares? It doesn't matter. All they want is money from TV, money from TV, and money from TV. That is literally it. Paul Feinbaum agrees that we're going down this slippery, scummy slope towards super This is a very wiry move, uh, and uh, it is clearly turning uh, college football on its ear. Something that we have been talking about here for some time seems to be coming to fruition, and that is the likelihood of two super conferences, the ACC and, and, the, and, and the Big Ten, and quite frankly, nobody else really mattering. And if you're, if you're the ACC commissioner, Jim Phillips, you've been on the job a year and a half, you have to be uh, beside yourself because uh, you, you helped kill the CFP. Yeah, he really did. You know, there could have been this expansion. There could have been the, the, the conference realignment wouldn't have looked so ominous. If, there, if the college football expansion happens, I don't think we're seeing all these teams move because there's more money to be spent around the Pac-12 and the Big 12. You know, the, the, the Pac-12 right now is trying to get their television deal redone faster, like ahead of schedule, to woo Washington or Oregon into sticking around. And again, they get $19.8 million per school last year in the Pac-12. The Big 10 got 70. Money talks. Are you going to figure out a way with Pac-12, with their deal with Fox or ESPN or whoever's going to take their late-night games to raise the dollar amount $50 million per school? That's going to be interesting. Regionalism, does it matter? A couple of comments coming up next from Reese Davis from ESPN plus Dan Wetzel. And I don't know if the SEC, check that, I don't know if the Pac-12 understands what November weather is like around here. Does USC know what's going to go on in Iowa City in November? That's next. Wicket needs a timeout. He'll be back soon. You're listening to 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. 1021 FM and 1350 ESPN Des Moines. It's Wicket's World. My name is Mike Wicket. Follow me on Twitter at MikeWicket2Ts. You can follow the station at ESPN DSM. Like us on Facebook. All that fun stuff. Dodgers and Cubs coming up tonight at Chavez Ravine as uh, the uh, the Chicago Cubs continue their West Coast road trip. 8.30 for the pregame with Zach Zaidman. Pat and Ron will have the play-by-play for you shortly after 9-ish, I think. <laughs> right? Is that about right? Wrapping up our college football realignment conversation. I would have got to this last week, but I was off last week. So uh, just talking about USC, UCLA, what that means going to the Big Ten. I mean, do you realize that's going to happen in 2024? So in two years, we're going to see USC playing a game in Iowa City or UCLA playing a game in Columbus or Michigan State playing out in LA. And it won't be January 1st. I know it's going to feel weird. I know it's going to feel wrong, and it's going to be disgusting for me to see it because of my old-school college football, traditional rivalry, all that kind of stuff, the way I was brought up by my dad and my mom. But that's just the way things are now. Nothing, nothing about tradition matters whatsoever. And I wonder, when USC and UCLA and the powers that be when they were like, hey, let's go to the Big Ten. Do they realize that, let's say they play two road games in November. They'll probably work the schedule that way, where they play two road games in November and two home games in L.A., right? That's feasible. Iowa probably does the same thing. Michigan does the same thing. Ohio State does the same thing. The difference is when Penn State goes on the road to play Michigan State in November and they play for the land-grant trophy, those climates are very similar. Could be 32 degrees, could be snowing, could be 12 degrees. Who knows how cold it can get in uh, in Pennsylvania or Michigan in November. But what's going to happen when USC plays at Michigan the week before Thanksgiving and it's snowing like crazy? I mean, 
benefit Michigan or benefit Ohio State, or if UCLA is playing the week before Thanksgiving at Kinnick, that's a benefit for Iowa, right? And I know, and I realize that sometimes they play a kind of cold weather game at Boulder when they would play at Colorado or a game up in Oregon or Washington. But I don't think that's going to compare to what happens in Columbus or Madison, Wisconsin or Minneapolis, Minnesota or Iowa City or hell, even Lincoln, Nebraska. Lincoln, Nebraska could have a blizzard in November. They could have one in October. If you grew up in the Midwest, how many Halloweens did you trick or treat in where you had to wear sweats or jeans under your costume because there was a freaking blizzard that always happened? Every year on Halloween, right? (laughs) Now, Reese Davis, who hosts uh, ESPN's College Football Game Day, it is the best pregame in all of sports. He went on uh, Keyshawn, J. Will, and Max earlier this week, and he claims that regardless of what I'm saying, regionalism still matters in college football. There is something about the regionalism, the conference pride, waiting until the end of the season, save for a few scattered games to see these intersectional battles that have really been attractive. And maybe it's not the best thing for the business model anymore. I get that. Ken, like, oh, this is all okay. It's big business. Well, it is, but that doesn't mean it's all just good and it doesn't cost us something. Maybe we're at a point in our sporting culture and history where we have to pay that price, and, and it may well prove to be worth that price. But don't pretend like it doesn't cost anything, like anything that we're losing is just something that can be thrown away uh, without any repercussion. Um, I disagree with Reese. I mean, I, don't, I, I agree with, the, with, with Reese from a fan's perspective. You know, if you're USC – and you developed a rivalry with Washington or Arizona State or whatever because you've been in the Pac-10 for so long, you're going to lose out on that. But do you think Nebraska fans miss playing Iowa State? Do you think Nebraska fan misses playing against Texas A&M or whatever? Or Colorado? Well, probably Colorado, yes. That's a bad example. But do you think Nebraska fans like, oh, if we could just get that game with TCU back. No, they have already took a couple of years, but Nebraska, Wisconsin's a game. Nebraska, Michigan State's a game. Nebraska, in five years, when USC and Ohio State are playing every year, or USC is playing somebody from the Big Ten East every single year, you're not going to be like, boy, sure wish we had that Arizona game back on our schedule. As fans of just football, I would rather see USC play my my conference, I would rather see that. So I disagree with Reese from a from from that perspective. And ask the schools; they don't care. Seventy million per team last year in the Big Ten from TV, nineteen million per team for the Pac-12 from TV. That's all they care about. They'll pee on your rivalry. They don't care. It's about dollars. That's it. Now, what about that other conference over there along the eastern seaboard? Reese Davis says there's a couple of schools, because I mentioned Oregon, mentioned Washington, mentioned Notre Dame. But what about those other schools down there over in the ACC? Ultimately, I think the ACC is still vulnerable. Doesn't mean that they can't make it, but at the moment, the brands that would really bring value to the other big conferences, the big two, which is where we're headed, it seems are few and far between, but there are a few. If those brands, and I use that word because that's what they are now, if, you know, North Carolina, Clemson football, those are the two primary ones in my judgment. There are others, but those are the two that I think are most attractive and would bring some value. Should they try to test it, should they try to go, then the ACC will have a hard time standing up. Clemson, yes. Carolina football, eh, don't know about that. But he didn't mention the U. He didn't mention Florida State. Those two schools have cachet. Those two schools. When Miami was great in the 80s and 90s, if you didn't like the way they acted, that's fine. But it was still great for college football when it was the convicts versus the Catholics, when Notre Dame and Miami played in that bowl game. It was still great when Miami, with Michael Irvin, or even those Gino Toretta teams, or whatever, that was still great for college football. Miami's still a brand. Florida State, 
should become a brand. Like you're just wondering when is Florida State actually ever going to figure it out again? But those two schools to me, and I think they all fit perfectly in the SEC. Just make that regional. And I'd be fine. Give Notre Dame to the north, Washington, Oregon to the north, Miami, Florida State, Clemson to the south. And then you can, you know, divvy. if eventually the Big 12 dissolves, just draw a line, give the big, give Iowa State to the north. You know, it will eventually, Oklahoma State to the north, all the Texas teams to the south. It, it, it's it's going to happen. And sadly, Dan Wetzel, do I have time to play one-minute clip? Do I have time? Sadly, Dan Wetzel uh, said something that there's a lot of us who may understand the realization of the new college football world. We don't want to see stuff like rivalries and those crazy-ass weekends go anywhere. You don't have that in the NFL. You don't have just field stormings and 10 different upsets and, and, and things like that. And that's a little what I'm talking about with your hardcore college football fan that just loves the sport and follows it all year round and sits there and says, we've all had those weekends and just chaos reigns and it's the best Saturday ever. And even if you're watching a whole bunch of teams you don't care about. And then I get what TV's trying to get is that more medium fan or casual fan that says, oh, oh Alabama's playing LSU, I'll watch that. Oh, Notre Dame's playing Clemson, I'll watch that. But isn't going to just sit there every Saturday going, okay, what's the show got for us this week? Because those are the plot twists that make this a, such a great reality show. And You know, once you stop caring about any kind of a chase for a title, it's really hard because you can have those wild weekends in the MAC or, or, or the Sun Belt and nobody really pays attention. It's got to be done at those major conference level. And so that's what I'm hoping we don't lose. Yeah, but I think the difference is we'll create new ones again I don't think Nebraska fan misses the games with TCU, but Nebraska fan probably loves when they go to Iowa City or they go to Madison or they go to East Lansing or they go to Ann Arbor or vice versa when those teams come to Lincoln. It doesn't mean we have to get rid of any rivalry. We're just going to wind up losing the old school traditional rivalries and building new rivalries. And some people don't like to hear that. But it's coming. I mean, the super conferences are coming. It is going to be the North. It is going to be the South. You're going to eventually... If the, if the Big 12 wants to work out some TV deal where they absorb the Pac-12, the ACC dissolves and we have 3-1-2-3. I don't know how any of that works because it's like when you go on a roller coaster, you have to have an even number of people or it gets really weird. Somebody has to sit alone. Five is the worst. So what would three super conferences be? I think we're going to wind up having two eventually. In the next 10 years, it's just going to cut right down the middle. It's going to be the North and it's going to be the South. And it's just the way college football is. And one day you'll tell your grandkids about the Big 8 and when there were actually 10 teams in the Big Ten, you'll be able to tell your, your kids all about that. All right, we're out of here. Do it again next week. Thanks, Kira. Have a good weekend.